Good morning. It's Iowemala. It's Iowemala, and today is Tuesday, March 23rd, and we are really feeling spring today. So, I hope it's I hope you're enjoying something pleasant so you can be feel comfortable outside today. Uh, we've got a lot of clouds, but my goodness, I have every one of looks like the whole um uh, what are they, a scurry of squirrels? Seems like they're all out in force. So the critters are back. We had our first book group with the uh, book, The Noble Eightfold Path, The Way to the End of Suffering. And we, we started that last night. We had some difficulties with getting everybody the link, Eventbrite, got them, got the link to people about 30 minutes into the one-hour group. So uh, people handled it with laughs and smiles, but I know they're probably as frustrated as I am. But that's why we're reading this book and studying it, the end to suffering. So the end to, you know, my reactions about the difficulty people had and the link not coming until the middle of the group. Um, really let me see mental defilements arising. And the more I knew about the situation after the group, the more it bothered me. So the mental defilements are there. They, it's certainly a, a perfect book to be reading about looking more closely at dealing with those things. So uh, it was a great group, though, and I think it's going to be really good when we can all get be able to be there from the beginning to the end. So you're still invited. That's Bhikkhu Bodhi's book. And uh, there's no charge, and so if you want to join us, don't worry if it's uh, we're into it, because we're taking it slowly, and you can read and keep up with us anytime. So I wanted to start with something that we learned when we read Pema Chodron's book, which was the one we most recently finished. Well, it's from, it's from welcoming the unwelcome, and uh, that was a that was a great book. I think this one we're going to study a little differently because we're going to be taking it page by page to make sure we get the concepts and follow it in Bhikkhu Bodhi's logical way of writing. But Pema always said that she recites this at the beginning of programs at retreats or talks. And hopefully the people in her audience are learning to recite it as well. So this is good for opening. May bodhicitta, precious and sublime, arise where it has not yet come to be, and where it has arisen may it never fail, but grow and flourish ever more and more. So I'm still having a, I feel much better today, but I'm still uh, keeping water handy. So if I start to cough, hopefully I won't do that. I won't start to cough. I wanted to share a little bit from Collecting Gold Dust, which, by the way, was the number two book choice 
So hang on to your copies of Gold Dust if you have them, and we'll get to this because it's a lovely book. So that was number two after Bhikkhu Bodhi's book. And I wanted to let you know one book that I was able to get, and I think it's I think it's a used copy, but I certainly can't tell. Uh, it looks like it's in perfect condition, but it was it's the way of the Bodhisattva and it's Shanti it's the it's Shanti Dewa's book, The Way of the Bodhisattva. And I was I'm so excited to have this because we quote Shanti Dewa and I think Shanti Dewa, who is the 8th century monk, um, he really bridges between Theravadan and Mahayana teaching. And so I think he's, uh, he's well respected in both camps. And I think we usually are appreciative of each other's teachers, but there are some, some differences between the two ways of looking at the Buddha's teachings. But this is something that we are always uh, referring to, Shanti Dewa. And my wish in the chants that we do, when we do chanting in the temple, uh, when we're regularly all in the temple, we always do my wish. And all the books we've been reading, including Pema Chodron's book, Shanti Dewa is frequently mentioned. And... Um, this book is, it's written, it looks a little bit like the Dhammapada when you look at it. It's different, different verses. So I haven't been able uh, to really get into it, but I hope, hopefully I'll be sharing pieces of this book with you. So... I don't know if my book marker is in the right place or not. Of course, that would happen. So maybe I should just... I think we had gotten through. We were talking about uh, desire. Why is there aversion? I think we may have stopped on why is there aversion. So we we were looking at uh, taking a closer look at the three the three poisons. It's one way to look at them, and that's desire and aversion and ignorance. We've gotten through desire. Well, we'd read a little bit about desire. There's a lot more to get through and a lot more to understand, and then then working with it is a whole other trick. Why is there aversion? And, uh, okay, we have read this. This is when he kicked the chair. He'd been meditating for a year and uh, came home from working in the shop one day And he had been sick. So he wasn't feeling very good. And he'd had a very busy day in the shop and had to work without any help from anyone. Or some of his his other relatives had different jobs, but he was running the family business. And uh, 
he got angry at a comment one of his siblings made, and so he kicked a chair across the room, which was an old habit. And he realized, you know, his how he was physically feeling was a little bit uh, uh, not not balanced, not not feeling so good. And all of that year of working with his meditation constantly, um, he could see how quickly it would just fall apart. And that's when he made the vow to not let something like this happen again. He learned how not to continue along a line of thinking when I saw dissatisfaction arising in the mind. Instead, I would switch to watching the feeling associated with that thinking. So he could clear out anger earlier when he first noticed it. He learned to be aware of it when it was arising, so it didn't uh, reach that level of acting out on it. So the third one, then now he's talking about um, delusion. There are always subtle defilements underneath, and delusion is always there. Delusion is where delusion is there whenever wisdom is not there. It's a good definition. If there's no wisdom, then there is delusion. It is only in those brief moments when wisdom is present that delusion is not present. How many times does the idea of I not happen? You may notice it for a brief moment, then delusion comes in to cover the wisdom up immediately. Wisdom is, delusion is darkness, and moha is the Pali word. Moha is darkness, and you have a thief's tiny flashlight. When you turn it on, it will light up a small area in front of you, and you're probably satisfied with that. You may think, oh, I know a lot now. What about everything you do not notice? It's vast, and you only know what you know, but you do not know what you do not know. Restlessness. You don't need or try, you don't need to try to restrict or rein in a restless mind. Just recognize that if the mind is scattered, that it is scattered. The fact that you recognize it means that something is already at work. Just know gently without getting lost in the thinking. The mind is like a monkey going from tree to tree. How easy is it to control a monkey? Not so easy. If you've ever been around wild monkeys, you learn that very quickly. <laughs> when one minute there's one monkey, and then and you think, oh, how cute. And the next minute you look up and there are monkeys surrounding you all around you. And some of them aren't so cute. And you know who's not in charge in that situation. The mind is like a monkey. How easy is it to control a monkey? Not so easy. Trying to control restlessness requires more energy and concentration. And I will feel even more restless. Remember that this thinking has nothing to do with you. You just want to know every time the mind thinks and be happy that there is awareness of this mental state. When the right attitude comes in, 
and you acknowledge that a scattered, restless mind is not a problem, then the mind will become more stable. If you know every time there is thinking, you, the meditating mind, don't get drawn into the thinking, right? You will get caught up in the thinking when you don't realize what is happening. Instead of taking the storyline as your object, just know that the thinking mind has arisen. When one new thought has happened, you know. When another new thought has arisen, you know. Many, many new thoughts will arise. Then you begin to observe that the mind that, the, that you thought was yours is not yours. The mind is mine. The mind is mind. Not mine, not me. This is very important, and it's easy to just get lost in this one little paragraph, isn't it? The mind that you thought was yours is not yours. The mind is mine. It's not mine. It's not me. I'm not in charge. That, those, those thoughts, that the mind, those are those monkeys taking charge. Going through roadblocks. It's natural to have challenges arise in daily life, and you may respond to these obstacles in different ways. You may solve the problem in the moment to make yourself feel better temporarily, but that brief relief won't uncover the second noble truth or the cause of suffering. Remember that there is no flyover or underpass on the noble path. You have to go through town with whatever experience that arises. That's great. The lessons are all laid out for you, and you have to recognize it as a lesson, a chance to work with the obstacle and come to a realization that can free you. The real benefit of the Dhamma is in having looked at defilements and having understood them to approach the same task with wisdom. We do not stop engaging with life issues. When the mind truly comes to understand something that is wrong as wrong, it will not repeat the same mistake again. Wow. I'm going to read that again. When the mind truly comes to understand something that is wrong as wrong, it will not repeat the same mistake again. Understanding will then mature and you can handle life issues wisely. We want to realize that it is the mind and its machinations that make us unhappy. Some yogis tell me that they practice metta to counteract judgments and comparisons, but practicing will not uproot the cause of suffering. Metta is like a balm, but does not take away the wound. It's more useful when you recognize how painful it is to judge. The purpose of living with awareness is to really know how things really are and to understand. Hopefully, that understanding will free us from those defilements. 
So next time, do not use metta as an antidote for that because then you won't see the truth of what is happening. I think that's a good point. Uh, metta shouldn't be how we cover up or don't deal with the issues. And we have to have wisdom. We have to have wisdom going into practicing metta. Uh, or we might use it just to cover up things. So we have to be careful even with our meta, meta practice. We don't let want it to be an excuse for not really seeing things the way they are. We should be interested in the relationships within us, the interplay of objects, the state of mind, wisdom, defilements, and awareness. These are the relationships that we want to take care of. People out there and what they are doing are concepts. Moreover, objects out there are not doing anything but minding their own business. But this mind is not minding its own business and getting into all sorts of trouble. This is a relationship we want to take care of, and this is what the practice is all about. Because this mind is not minding its own business, and it's getting into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> Even if we were sitting somewhere and not speaking to or wanting to speak to anyone, we are still relating to our surroundings. Awareness should be observing this relationship. There is no need to fix the relationship that is already happening, but we do want to be aware of what is happening. There is a temporary end to suffering, and there is an ultimate end to suffering, and we have to pay the price accordingly. Some things come easily and are cheaper. We will have to pay a higher price for something more valuable. We should be interested in the relationships within us, the interplay of objects, the state of mind, wisdom, defilements, and awareness. These are the relationships that we want to take care of. Ah, so the next section is a new chapter called Reflect, Learn, Keep Going. So we'll, I think this was a lot. We, this was a lot of really good information going through roadblocks. There is no flyover or underpass on the noble path. You, go, you have to go through town, each town with whatever experience that arises. So as we start, as we work now in the book group and other groups with the Eightfold Path, we have to really remember that studying the Buddha's teachings and studying the Eightfold Path is not a way to go around it. It's not a way, it's not a way that we'll, we'll find grace or we'll find salvation. It's not through reading it and studying it. It's through using it practically, going through situations. So, 
it's this is a practical path and this is why the buddha's path is a way is the way we live because every day is an opportunity to go through and work with one of those path factors and we'll see that the and the more we're actively involved with that path the more we'll see how it's 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 it we're seeing it in everything we do every day and we have an opportunity to work with it so why don't we sit for a few minutes And at the end, I'll read a a closing of Sending Merit. But let's just sit. We don't have much time, but we can sit with what I've read, or you can sit just with gratitude for the day. You may want to sit uh, being aware of conditions in the world that are sad, people being killed, uh, the world getting back to painful experiences other than COVID, um, sadness going on for people all over the world. You may want to sit and just let your heart be open to compassion, for those who are going through such difficulties, compassion for people who are sick with COVID or working, struggling with recovering, Um, just whatever you feel a need to be open to. And it certainly can be gratitude just to be alive, to be, to be, to, to have noble friends, to be together here with people that we feel a connection to, even if it's only just through um, Facebook or YouTube. It's a connection with other people who are, um, who can be noble friends. Just allow a bodhicitta It's that awakened heart, an awakened mind. Just allow that to open in compassion and gratitude. Every day we can find things to help us awaken that bodhicitta. Be grateful for being able and being interested and wanting to understand. Understand your mind, understand the nature of reality.
this led to. Focus be on the breath. Be aware of the body breathing, of your body relaxing. Be aware of your body, that it's relaxed, becoming aware of ease in the body. Or being more aware of parts of your body that don't feel at ease, where there may be pain or tightness or constriction. Feel like you're breathing into those parts, letting them open up and release on the exhale. Knowing our body helps us learn how to be aware of these emotions. Like Sayadaw Tejaniya, vowing to be more aware of his body as part of his daily continuous meditation so he could see and feel and know when anger was arising. The more we know this body, The more we stay in touch with our bodies, the more we can meditate continuously that way. Feel the tightness as it begins. Breathe into it. Exhale and release. Be aware if there's anger there or some other difficult emotion that we're holding in.
Just be with each breath in, each breath out. My time with you today is up, but I hope you can keep sitting and just being with that breath, opening up, feeling that bodhicitta. And I want to read, this is a a closing where we can send merit at the end of our practice or any time during the day. May the actions that we take towards the good, toward understanding ourselves, toward being more peaceful, be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you so much, and I will see you Thursday morning.